Welcome to episode 221 of Speaking of Mysteries. I'm Nancy Clare. Today we're talking to Taylor Moore, whose debut thriller, Downrange, is just about to be published. Thank you for taking the time to join the podcast. Thank you for having me on, Nancy. I appreciate it. Really honored. I've spoken to a number of former employees of intelligence services, former law enforcement, former lawyers, former judges. You get the picture. And in the early days of the podcast, I would ask them why they turned to writing in general and crime fiction in particular. But my takeaway after almost 10 years of doing this podcast is that those jobs are almost always, you're either uh, telling or listening to a story, hopefully a true story, but often that's your job to decide. You are a former CIA analyst turned operative, which is very Jack Ryan, by the way. (laughs) So is that what drew you to writing your experience with stories, true, false, and in between? You know, um, the answer is no. I actually started writing, believe it or not, before I even uh, started that career path. Uh, The first book that I ever wrote was in the year 2000, I think. And I was working on uh, the cattle ranch uh, that my you know, that my dad had, and um, and that's when I wrote my first book. And really, it was just I don't know why I did it. It was just something I always had the the fascination uh, with the idea of writing a book, and I just wanted to see if I could do it. So I wrote a young adult adult novel uh, over the course of a few months, and there it sat on my laptop. And wherever that laptop, I guess it still is. I never did anything with it, and. Don't know if I even planned to. I just wanted to do that. I always like telling stories, and that was just a passion of mine. And then um, it really wasn't till, gosh, you know, uh, almost two decades later that I really started getting serious about writing books to to try to sell and try to get published. Your main character, Garrett Cole, has a lot on his plate. At yeah. the beginning of the novel, he's somewhere he shouldn't be and sees something he shouldn't see. Mm-hmm. His instinct is to save a young boy who witnessed a massacre, even though doing so has the potential to cause an international incident. And I found this beginning very moving because A, it rang very true, and B, it gives us a vivid portrait on who Garrett is without pages and pages of description. So kudos for that, but am I like crazy or is that what was going on? Well, show don't tell, right? You know, they always say in writing. And so I think, um, yeah, I think in a very, uh, the first few pages, you really get to see his character, who he is and, uh, and what he's about. And yeah, while, um, while he is a man of the law, you know, he's a DEA agent and, and, and respects the law, uh, there's something that supersedes the law and the rules and that's human life. And, um, and, and in this particular case, you see Garrett, uh, have to make that hard call that could jeopardize everything, including his own First of all, his own life. He may not live through this uh, when he makes this decision. Uh, but second of all, if he does live, uh, his life could be ruined. At very least, his career will be over and uh, he could go to prison. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of who he is in a nutshell. He's a guy that believes in law and order. But it's not just for the sake of the law or the sake of order. It's about helping people. It's about doing the right thing to protect human life. And that is what he's about. And uh, I think readers will find that in the, in the very first few pages, uh, who this guy is. You know, it, I, I just had this thought, and, and it's something that's occurred to me, and I know certainly happens, is sort of this, this mix of the alphabet soup of intelligence aid agencies and law enforcement who have to live cheek by jowl in places like Afghanistan, but other places as well. And the, 
their briefs are not the same. The CIA is not a law enforcement agency. Mm -hmm. And the DEA, although it gathers intelligence, is. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of an, an interesting line that Garrett has to walk, and he reflects on it as well. So um, as a former CIA analyst turned operative, without divulging any uh, classified secrets, can you talk about that, that kind of relationship either in your head, if, you're, if, you've, if you've been seconded to one agency or another, uh, or is it, you know, is it sort of an identity crisis moment? So that's a great question. And, and, and you pick up on something that I really wanted to demonstrate in the book. And, um, and that's what it's like for law enforcement to be in, the, uh, in that world of the CIA. Because if, if you think about it, this isn't the, the CIA and Garrett's world. Garrett is in their world. He, he's in a world that he doesn't really even understand what's going on behind the scenes because the CIA you have to remember is connected, you know, to the National Security Council and policymakers. And there's a lot going on that your average law enforcement guy is not going to know about. And he he's smart enough to figure out that I'm not getting the whole story here. There's something more going on. And that was uh, that was something that uh, that, yes, did come up in my career. And I remember uh, before I even joined the agency talking to someone about um, they, they, you know, you know, I, they were an FBI agent. I said, you know, I was interested in FBI, CIA. And I said, well, what's kind of the difference? And he said, we're the guys that wear the white hats. They're the ones that wear the black hats. And, uh, and it's kind of a funny way to look at it, right? Because we're all on the same side. We're all good guys, but they didn't necessarily see it that way, you know? And, and so it's, it's just kind of an interesting uh, way, of, way of how they look at it. And I remember in particular, you know, working with FBI agents. And it, the bottom line is we had two different jobs. I mean, at the end of the day, the mission is to keep the country safe. Fine, but they make arrests. We don't. And ours is about, you know, gathering intelligence. And, and those mission sets don't always, uh, they don't always cross in the right ways. It's interesting. Um, and thank you for, for getting inside of the head of someone who's actually had to swim in that soup. Yeah. <laughs> so, but let's go back to Garrett who is a DEA agent uh, swimming in some, in some very nasty waters in Afghanistan. Um, but he has to go home to Texas. He figures that's the best place for him to go to protect this young man who has seen this terrible thing. And I don't think it's a spoiler because it happened so early in the book. Absolutely. Um, but when Garrett lands in, in near Canadian Texas, um, it's clear that he has a fairly complicated family life. You know, on the surface, his older brother presents as a successful lawyer in their small hometown. And his father is a stubborn guy who is like, you know, not an unexpected character to find on the high plains of the panhandle of Texas. But the thing is, is that Garrett feels that his father is supremely disappointed in him for reasons that become clear as the book goes on. And it got me to thinking in the, in the, in the case of um, Cole's family, that family dynamics and the space between what you believe versus what is true can be miles apart. And that's sort of a road that he has to take. Absolutely. So you hit on that character, uh, the Butch Cole character has been a reader favorite so far. Uh, people like him and 
and he's an interesting guy and nobody can figure him out, including Garrett. And it's, it's probably the reason I'll never get into Butch's point of view, because even I don't know what he'll say or what he's thinking at any given time. And that's sort of fun. It's fun for me as the writer and, and readers seem to have a lot of fun with him. But you're absolutely right. So when I wrote this book, I wanted to I wanted to have um, problems that were relatable to every single reader on the planet. And, you know, being chased by cartel guys or terrorists or whatever it is, isn't always relatable. It may be fun to read about, um, but it's not necessarily relatable. So Garrett, yeah, he's he has these problems that um, if you if you haven't experienced them yourself, you know someone who has, and it comes to sibling rivalries, uh, problems with parents, you know, being, being this, having this disagreement. And a lot of it, as you point out, it's, it's based on what you think, not, not necessarily as things are. And so I just wanted to, uh, I wanted to bring the reader into his world to see that it's bigger than just fighting terrorists or fighting cartel guys. It's, uh, it's something that really, um, Will, will resonate with everyone having this sort of family drama and these, these emotions and the, the idea of, of living this sort of life of adventure but wanting to be close to ha- family and the land is a big part of the the story too the, the land that he grew up on his home uh, that sort of draw that pull to come home a lot of people feel that some people don't but some people get to a certain age and they want to be what they're from you know what, what they're familiar with in their home and so that, that was a big part of the story well like any good writer you have anticipated my next question, which is the, that the panhandle of Texas, which I have to admit I have only driven through. <laughs> Most people have. Is a, it's a windblown vast expanse. Uh, it's called the High Plains uh, and because of the altitude, mostly. It gets snows in the winter. And it's, it's an area that isn't often written about. And you give the landscape that Garrett's coming home to an almost visceral sensibility. It's a character in the novel. And so that made me think, this is one of those instances where local knowledge really is invaluable. I don't think you can read enough about the panhandle to grasp it the way you did. I think you have to live it. So you hit on, again, you hit on something really important here. And I've had more than a few people tell me that the Texas High Plains is a character in the novel. It's, it's just as important as anyone else. And yeah, that comes from experience. I live here in the High Plains, but really, uh, and, and kind of like you, it was, it was sort of drive through country for me. It was, the, it was the place, you know, even though I grew up in Texas, it was kind of where I drove, drove through to get to Colorado to go on a ski trip or something. And is a place that I never really stopped, and most people don't. But even living in Amarillo wouldn't have changed things. When I got out of the intel business, you know, I was working contract uh, intel, doing contract intel work with the military. Uh, we ended up moving here because my wife was from the area, so I had to sort of reinvent myself, and I started working as an oil and gas landman. And a lot of people don't uh, know what a landman is, but basically, essentially, I was the person that would go out and make the oil and gas deals on behalf of the oil company. I was doing contract work for for the company, but I would go out and meet with the landowners, meet with the mineral owners, whoever they were, and I would I would you know make the deals. And I was the one who was sort of the face of the operations when they'd come in and build the roads and put in the derricks and do all this kind of stuff. I was the guy that was the face of that, for better or worse. Some people. We're super happy to see me coming. Some people just like locked the door and barred it whenever they, they saw me because they didn't want that going on. Um, but because of that, I got to have a really uh, close understanding 
of not only the land, but the people, you know, cause I was going out on all these big ranches and, you know, driving around and finding locations where sometimes that are very desolate, sometimes very rough to where, you know, where, where we could get roads in to put a, to, to drill an oil well. Um, but in this process, I got to know the landowners and, the, and the, they were as fascinating as the landscape. I mean, they were rough and tumble and would say all these outlandish things and sometimes cuss me out on the phone and sometimes be as like welcoming and kind and invite me in for dinner. And um, so I, I, I got the sort of full gamut of, of what it means to be a, a person living on the Texas high plains, particularly not, you know, outside of the city and on one of these uh, rural areas. And because of this, I got the feel of, of who these people were. And so, so, you know, you talk about the old dad, you know, everybody always says, I know that guy, I know that guy. And, and, um, and everybody has somebody else in their mind. And he was based off someone that I had met. Not everybody's based off multiple people, you know, but I, I would, I would remember these experiences. And so I'd write, write them into the story. And uh, so I think that's why the characters have seemed to resonate with people or with readers because they are real people. And, um, and so, you know, I just, I, I don't know, it, to, to me, it was just a natural, a very natural uh, way of, of telling the story of the Texas High Plains. Um, it, I, I did, I tried to do this sort of level of world building that CJ Box does for Wyoming, because I got on those stories, not only because they're well-written, they're good mysteries and thrillers, but they're it's, it's, he does a level of world building for a part of the, for a place that I've never been, but now I want to go because it's so fascinating due to all these characters that he introduces. And uh, so that's what I try to do for downrange and, and uh, book two uh, as, as part of the series that's turned into my editor now uh, to keep getting deeper into that, deeper into the characters. And I, I try to throw a little bit of uh, his Texas history or high plains history or Western history or, you know, all, all that along the way. Just little nuggets. I don't try to get too far into it because I, I never want to take the reader out of the mind of that point of view that they're in. But I try to throw in a little nugget here and there. And I think it goes along well with the storyline because this was the very, very wild West. Some of the wildest West is right out here where I'm sitting. And um, and it's still pretty wild if, if we're being honest about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's one of the things that, that struck me was... Uh, that Garrett Cole comes into this incredibly lawless situation, uh, having just left Afghanistan, the graveyard of empires, mm -hmm. which is also a completely <laughs> you know, crazy lawless experience uh, with all kinds of, of really bad things going on. The bad things that are going on are different, but bad people are bad people. And, and Garrett, you know, and I, I think that's also one of the shocking juxtapositions of, well, that's Afghanistan and this is America, but oops, you know, yeah, there's some bad stuff happening here too. Absolutely. And, um, and you know, it's, it's funny, people have kind of um, brought up the point that in some ways uh, the Texas High Plains, you know, particularly when you get on the Cap Rock, uh, there's a sort of, I don't know if you call it mountainy, but it's kind of um, like these high, you know, these plateaus and, and people that have seen it that have been to Afghanistan say there's places in Afghanistan that look almost exactly like this. So uh, for the kid Asadi to, to even, you know, tr travel from this part of the world to the other, um, not, not that much has changed a little bit. It's not the Hindu Kush, but it, it, but it is, there it does have some vast barren similarity, you know, that, that kind of thing. And then, 
yeah, you get bad guys wherever you go. No matter where you go in the world, there's going to be some some evil out there, and, and he finds it in both places. Well, I wanted to ask you, uh, it actually just occurred to me, I wanted to ask you a little bit of a technical question about your book. You have it split into four sections, which are understandable as you read the book. Yeah. But it's it's your epigraphs that you've chosen to start each one. And part one is the hardest thing on earth is choosing what matters. And we've discussed that a little bit. Yeah. Your second one is something that I quote often when people do talk about uh, Afghanistan, which is uh, from Hosea, uh, Mm -hmm. for they have sown the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's about as good as you can get for, for, some of the things that have happened and continue to happen. And I loved part four, which is shoot first and never miss. Which is <laughs> the kind of important, right? And ask questions later. <laughs> I, because it really is uh, the land of, of Bat Masterson and, and mm-hmm. many of those people. And in this book, I noticed that you did include uh, some of the Native American history of, of, of the first peoples that lived here. Manchis and Apaches and and what happened there and so and I think I think that kind of history informs a region I do. Well, so, it's just, yeah, it's part of our history, so that, that I wanted to include that. With Downrange, you join a pretty rarefied group of crime fiction writers who have set their novels in remote, rugged, and rural locations. And you mentioned one of them, C.J. Box, mm-hmm. but a few others are Steve Hamilton, mm-hmm. Paul DeRyan, Craig Johnson, Nevada Barr, and the Hillermans. Mm-hmm. But the writer I was most reminded of when I read Downrange was an Australian writer named Gary Dishy, Disher, Gary Disher. And the reason was, it was the way the law and how it's interpreted and administered is so informed by the spread out population and the miles and miles of uninhabited land. So Disher's Paul Hirschhausen has been transferred from the city, and I think it's Adelaide, to be a one-man law band in a tiny town because of something he saw and reported on. And I know that Craig Johnson's Longmire has Henry Standing Bear, but he also has deputies. What I felt Garrett had in common with Hirsch was having to find help where he could get it. And I think, and you mentioned building your universe, and I think that makes for an interesting dynamic as you build the series. He's called on these wide range of people, including one lawman, but also a bar owner. And and that's not a spoiler because you don't know who the bar owner is yet. So you want to talk about where that came from? Huh. I don't even really know. That's a good question because it makes me think. Um, I think that it's very, well, I would say it's very Texan, but, you know, you said that an, an Australian does the same thing, but maybe for, for similar reasons. Isn't Australia kind of in, in a lot of ways similar to Texas? In the in outside the cities, yeah. You've got these huge stations, uh, and you talked about driving around as, as a landman on, you know, where they're going to build roads. It's the same sort of thing in Australia. There are roads that are kind of roads and roads that are roads in concept only. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. You can go from point A to point B this way. That's yeah. the road. And it's just that wide sort of expanse and, and, the, and the, um, how he's, on his own. And that's, that's what made me think 
unlike these other writers I mentioned, Craig Johnson, even C.J. Box, yeah. his, uh, his character, whose name is escaping me, has people he works with in the office. He doesn't always get along with them, but yeah. he does have other people. Yeah. Yeah. So th that's sort of the nature of the Texas High Plains. And, and the reality is that's how people operate around here. Um, because you might be on a ranch, you might be, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 miles away from, you know, your neighbor or, or someone that can help uh, or, you know, or, you know, the police or fire department, whatever it is, people rally together to help each other. And, and on these big ranches, when people round up cattle and do things like that, that's just part of the nature of what they do. Neighboring ranchers will come in and help you round the cattle up and you, you'll help them and ever, neighbors help neighbors. And of course, in this particular case, um, these guys do share uh, something in common from the bar owner to the deputy. Um, of course, the deputy is his best friend from, from childhood, even though they've got their issues, you know, from, you know, and again, that's another one of those common themes where friends kind of fall apart or fall, fall away from each other and, and come back together. But um, but uh, they're veterans, you know, they've all sort of been part of that uh, experience that we've, you know, been going through the past two decades in the war on terror. Um, they've all done that in, in some capacity. And um, so they have that, that commonality. But, but I think um, more than anything, it's kind of like what, what you hit on with the whole Australian thing is that you, you make do with what you got, you know, and you may not have a SWAT team uh, to go into, to, you know, rescue someone. Well, you make your own SWAT team with, with <laughs> maybe a, uh, a guy who's had a few too many before he gets in his helicopter or whatever, but you make do with what you got. And uh, they're, People around here are pretty hardy and pretty good, and, um, and and they're pretty tough. So so it's not a horrible. Uh, he's he's not left w w you know totally uh, to his own devices or on his own. He's he's got some help, but it's not uh, traditionally what we would think of as having good backup, right? <laughs> well, but it's it's inventive. Yeah. <laughs> well, it gets even. Wait till book two. It gets even more inventive and fun. <laughs> well. See, you've anticipated uh, what is my last question. Okay. Uh, but I wanted to ask, before I ask that, I wanted to ask, when you started this book, when you started Downrange and started to build the universe, um, did you see it as a series from the get-go? Did you know that you wanted Garrett Cole's story to continue beyond one book? Yeah. Yeah, I always wanted to write a series. Um, uh, I, I feel like a series is rewarding um, because again, whether it's CJ Box, Jack Reacher, um, name any of the, the long, long running series, uh, any of the, you know, the Tom Clancy stuff. Um, it's fun to keep up with these people's lives. And, and that's what I love about CJ Box is, you know, you start the first book, I think his kids are like infants or something, you know, they're like super young. And then like, by now I think they're getting married or whatever, you know, they're at least off, you know, college. And, and, and I love that. I think that's fun because I don't want to just, I mean, I, I like the action and adventure and I think that's great, but I want to follow people that I care about. You know, I want to like see what their kids are going to do. I want to see how they're going to grow up and who they're going to marry and, and how Joe Pickett's going to grow old and what's he going to do and uh, how, how does he handle arthritis or whatever it is, you know, to that point, I, I want to see what's going to happen to these guys. So I think that the, the thriller, I mean, I'm sorry, the series is, is kind of the way to go. Um, at least for th the thriller genre, I think it's a good one because uh, people can follow it. And, and I always wanted to do that. Yeah. So 
on that note, and you've mentioned the second book, can you tell us what's next a little bit uh, for Garrett and Canadian Texas, which is the name of his town, and the wide expanse of the Lana Estacado? Yeah, so uh, a lot more is to come. Um, uh, so I wrote, I wrote that book too in sort of a vacuum. I, I normally had this critique group that was uh, really wonderful. It was two New York Times bestselling romance writers that live here in, in Amarillo that were have been my mentors and um, and been great, but I was so busy trying to hit that deadline. I was literally writing seven days a week, uh, for like, you know, maybe six months. And, um, and I just, so I, I kind of wrote this in the vacuum and I sent it to my agent and editor and everybody. And I thought, what if this is horrible, you know, because, you know, downrange is getting some good press and good, you know, good feedback. And, and so as the writer, you, you know, we can't help, but like wring our hands and like invent ways to like make oh, yeah. it visible. Right. You know? And so that was me. And so, um, and so I got a really, really, I, I don't know if my editors read it or not. Um, my agent read it and he had, was very happy with it. And so that made me feel good. And, um, and so I, what I always tell people uh, about book two, I always say, if you like book one, you'll love book two um, because it gets, it's, it's the characters that you love. It gets more into their lives. It has all the actions, it's suspense and intrigue that you're maybe more uh, than what's in downrange, but you're getting in, if, if you've gotten to like those characters and get, gotten to know those characters, you're going to get to know more about them and, and get more into their, the little things that are happening in their lives that make the bigger things more important, if you know what I mean, because you care, because they all have some, someone depending on them. And, and when you put your, their lives in jeopardy, you're like, no, we, you, you know, and I left a few cliffhangers. I won't say it, you know, in, in book one and those sort of play out, start playing out in book two, of course, you know? And, um, and so, I, yeah, I think for anybody who, who likes book one, you're going to love book two. Uh, so I won't give a, a whole lot away other than, then, yeah. You there's know. still plenty. How about, how about, let's say there's still plenty to investigate. Oh Yeah. There's there's a lot left to investigate, and then there's new things to investigate. So not to uh, not to limit ourselves to to one one problem. Garrett, uh, for, as nice as of a guy as he is, the poor guy just gets into more trouble than you can imagine, you know. But um, but he gets himself out usually, and so um, so anyhow. Um, so no, I think uh, yeah, that's to come and. Uh, no, I'm really excited about book two. I think it's going to be fun. I think people are going to like it. I think there's a lot of relevant um, things that are happening in the world that it sort of falls into uh, into play there. Uh, I mean, if you look at Downrange, how relevant, uh, you know, started this a long time. The timing couldn't have been more fortuitous, I would think, as far as having to leave Afghanistan uh, and figure something else out, even if you are DEA agent. Um, you know, I, I do my best to keep this a politics free zone, but it is still something that's happening in the world. Yeah. Everybody, everybody that's there, most of the people that's there that are there are leaving. Yeah. In order to leave. Absolutely. So it's a problem. It's a problem. I, that I don't know. Now, now I, I joked the other day with someone, I was like, see how brilliant of an Intel analyst I was. I predicted that within the month, you know, when we're going to do this and, 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 the, and the book is coming out, you know, because that's how it starts out with we've left, you know, this country. Here's what's going to happen. So, again, no spoilers, but but we're kind of starting to see it. Right. Yeah. We're kind of starting to see it. And um, and so 
I don't know what you do. I'm glad other people are having to make those decisions because we can't stay there forever, but we can't leave the people in, in, in this situation either. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. And, and it'll probably continue to play out through the book series. Um, uh, particularly the way I left book two, but, um, yeah, it's just a tough situation. And, uh, but, but, um, but yeah, that, was it Rudyard Kipling or Winston Churchill that called Afghanistan the graveyard of empires? I can't remember. More than a hundred years ago. It's, it, it has been the, it has, it has broken other empires before ours. It has. I tell you a great, um, a great book to read, uh, a nonfiction book is Lone Survivor. And if you haven't read it, the, the movie came out. It's about the Navy SEALs during Operation okay. Red Wing, and it was played by Mark Wahlberg. And so the movie was great. I watched that, and I thought, oh, one day I'll read the book. But I saw the movie. And then I saw this clip from uh, on Joe Rogan, um, and it was from – gosh, I'm blanking on the guy's name. I probably have the book. Um, Marcus Luttrell. Marcus Luttrell. And he, and he said in Joe Rogan's podcast, he said, he said, you know, the funny thing is, like, what they show in the movie is a teeny tiny part of the book like the real part of the story is after all that happens. So I was like, Oh, I got to see that. And he was absolutely positively right. But that book, it, it gives you a very good insight into, you know, the people of Afghanistan or the Pashtuns or, you know, or, or, you know, the people that are um, like how those cultures work and cause he, he lived with them for a long time. And, um, and it just kind of, it is, it's an ancient world. It's like, a, it's a world we can't fathom that still lives by ancient cultures. And it's just different. And, and when you talk about the remoteness and um, it's just absolutely, it's, 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 it's hard for us to imagine a place like this still exists, but it does. And they're in the Hindu Kush and they've got their little villages and they live with tribal elders. And, and it's just very, a very different place. And now it's, uh, it's, part of our history too. So that's, yeah. that's something that we have to contemplate as, as we go forward. And that's something I think Garrett will have to deal with mm -hmm. as you mentioned. Yeah. I, you know, I was thinking as you were describing doing a series, how invested readers get in the characters mm -hmm. uh, and how important they become. And, and, you know, books can come out about once a year and, and you look forward to that so you can catch up with some old friends. And that sort of brings me to, uh, I would think this is still an interesting, and I use air quotes, an interesting time to launch a book, to launch a series. Um, and that hopefully with the second book, you might be able to do in real life events. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're going up to Arizona to, to uh, Poison Pan or down to Houston to the bookstore there. I'm doing all those, but, I'm, but they're all virtual. They're all virtual. Point. Yeah, they're all virtual. But you know, I've been I I, I took a little trip and, and met some uh, some other uh, bookstore owners when I was down in Austin, San Antonio, book people and uh, the Twig uh, down in San Antonio, and um, and so I, I think people are kind of gearing up to like want to do in person events again, and so I'm happy to go do those. I'm happy to do the virtual ones, but there's nothing like getting out and meeting people. Um, I think if you're a writer, that's just part of what you do. And it's part of the fun, you know, particularly as people read it and, and, and enjoy it. Um, you want to connect with those people. So I want to get out and connect uh, as soon as it's safe and, and everybody feels comfortable doing it, you know? And um, so now I'm, I'm excited about that. 
Well, I'm excited to hopefully see you at an event or a bookstore or something, although it has been lovely to talk to you via Zoom. Same Thank here. you again, Taylor, for talking to us about Downrange and uh, about what's coming up for Garrett Cole. And thank you for bringing him into the reading world. Well, thank you for your kind words and thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm.